I'm going to speak about the ministry of elders today, um, also called pastors and overseers uh, by the New Testament. And it's, it's the primary way that the church has governed itself since the time of the apostles. In our Presbyterian tradition, we have two kinds of elders, ruling elders and teaching elders. And we usually call a teaching elder a minister. And we make him the chair of a council of ruling elders called a session. And we give him overall responsibility for guiding and leading the church in cooperation with the other elders. That's what Nathan, well, already is in effect, but uh, we're officially making him that today. But whatever a Presbyterian minister may or may not be, he remains fundamentally an elder in New Testament terms. And that's what Nathan is, regardless of what we do to you in this service. So, I want to revisit briefly what the Bible says about elders by looking at another church that was just setting up, like this one, uh, that is the church on Crete, where the Apostle Paul left Titus, his uh, fellow worker, to appoint elders and to get the church to stand on its own two feet, as it were. Now, if I were preaching a series on eldership, I'd start way back in the Old Testament because elders are not just a New Testament phenomenon, as that reading we had earlier from Numbers shows. But this is just one sermon, so I want to zoom in on Paul the Apostle's directions about elders that he gives to his church-planting colleague, Titus. And I want to ask, what is an elder? What is he to be? How is he to act? And what are his roles in the life of the church? But before I get to that, uh, let me answer the question, why do we call them elders in the first place? Well, the New Testament uh, was written in Greek, and, and in that language, the word is the word presbyteros, from which we get our word Presbyterian. Uh, that's uh, historically why we call ourselves Presbyterians, because uh, we're not... Roman Catholics or Anglicans or others that, that have bishops rather than uh, like a hierarchy of bishops rather than a council of elders. But why are they called elders in the first place? Well, it's quite simple really. Originally, in most cultures, elders were literally old people. And the basic idea is that generally speaking, older people are wiser. Uh, there are some exceptions, I'm probably one. But older people have more life experience. So there is a connection between grey hair and wisdom. Or no hair and wisdom, maybe. Um, or at least there should be. It's not always the case. Now, elders are not always old. Paul tells Timothy, uh, his colleague, who is an elder in the church, not to let people look down on his authority from God because he's a young man. But the essential definition of eldership centres on the idea of wise counsel and guidance and authority. We call them elders in traditional, uh, because in traditional culture, older people are usually the ones who lead. And it's still the case today, isn't it, amongst our politicians? They're mostly older people. Uh, or to put it, on, put it another way, older people have made more mistakes than younger people. But hopefully they've learned from the, those mistakes and that should make them wiser people. But what is an elder in the church? What does he do and how does he act? Titus uses 
Uh, Titus chapter 1 uses two terms for a church elder. Uh, the word I already mentioned, presbyteros or elder, and in verse 7 uh, is the Greek word episkopos, which means pretty much what it's translated as in the NIV, if you've got one of those, uh, which is uh, an overseer, someone who supervises, uh, someone who has authority over and is responsible for the welfare of a group of people. And Paul makes plain that he regards those two terms as one and the same office in the church. Now, episkopos is sometimes translated as bishop. Uh, that's why churches with bishops in America are called episcopalian. comes from that word. But in the New Testament, the terms elder and bishop and another term, pastor, are all interchangeable. And they all refer to the one office. Quite early in church history, in the second, second century, a, a bishop, an episcopos, uh, came to mean someone in charge of a cluster of churches, uh, a, a regional leader rather than a, a local leader, a leader of leaders, an overseer of overseers, a pastor of pastors. And then later you get this hierarchy of priests, bishops and archbishops. But here in the New Testament, Paul is using the terms elder and overseer or bishop uh, interchangeably. And um, it, it's a leader in a local church. So if you want to, you can refer to your pastor as Bishop Nathan uh, after today. So the first answer to the question, what is an elder, is that an elder is an overseer, an episkopos of God's people, someone who manages God's household. You see that there in verse 7, if you've got your Bibles open. It says, an overseer manages God's household. One of the metaphors the Bible uses for God's people is a household. Uh, the picture here is of the church overseer as a servant in charge of a household. Now, this is really important to note. He's not pictured, this elder, this overseer, he's not pictured as the owner of the household. One of the marks of cults or unhealthy cult-like churches is that the senior pastor in the church acts and is treated as though he were the owner of the church, the boss of the church, the head of the church. But in the Bible's theology of ministry, the pastor or elder is just a servant of the real owner, who is God. His authority only comes from God's word. It doesn't come from his own person, his own ideas, his own skills or abilities or qualifications. Now, it's the same in the Old Covenant too. Hebrews tells how Moses was faithful as a servant over God's household. I preached about that in our own church this morning from Hebrews chapter 3. But it says Christ is faithful as the son and heir of the household. He owns the house. Indeed, he built the house. He's the owner builder, uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 1. So New Testament elders are a little bit like Moses. Uh, they are required to be faithful overseers of God's household as servants of God. Sure, they manage and supervise the other household servants. So they're a bit like a butler. They're a bit like the butler in Downton Abbey, if you've seen that series, Mr. Carson. But they're still fellow servants. They belong downstairs, not upstairs. Uh, Mr. Carson was not the owner 
of Downton Abbey. That was Lord Grantham. But he was a servant of the owner whose task was to organise the other servants so that the house could run smoothly. It's God's church, not the minister's church. Both he and the other elders, they are overseers in God's household. They're like butlers. Now, although Mr Carson was still a servant, the other servants did have to accept his authority, which was given to him by the Lord. Lord Grantham, I mean, not the Lord. Likewise, the church needs to recognise and respect the authority of elders and place themselves willingly and cheerfully under that authority because the authority of the elder is not from himself, it's from God. Peter says, Submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. That's from 1 Peter 5. Second, an elder is a pastor. Now this doesn't come directly from this passage in Titus, but other parts of scripture make that clear. The word pastor means shepherd. That's why we call fields pastures, by the way. Uh, If you've got your Bibles there, you might like to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. And there, Peter says this in verse 1, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. Note Peter's humility there. He doesn't call himself an apostle, you know, someone who um, is way up here and you're way down there. He's a fellow elder. I appeal to you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And you may have noticed in that passage from Titus, he talks about those who were pursuing dishonest gain. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Jesus is the chief shepherd, that is the chief pastor. Those who pastor our churches, like Nathan, are only under shepherds. Their model and example is the Lord Jesus himself, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who in John's gospel calls himself the good shepherd. The one who says, I am gentle and humble of heart. So pastors are not to lord it over the flock, Peter says, but to care for them. And the New Testament presents the shepherd as leading the sheep into good pastures in God's word. As tending the spiritually sick and weak, protecting them from evil and going out to look for the lost. Uh, like in the parable that Jesus told about that. Now, don't, don't misunderstand that last bit. Looking for the lost and evangelism is not only the job of elders and pastors. It's your role too as members of the church. You can't just leave it up to those with special offices or roles. Ephesians 4.12 says that the leaders of the church are to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built. So an elder is an overseer in God's household and an elder is a pastor, a shepherd of God's flock. 
Next, an elder is to be an encouraging biblical teacher. Verse 9 here in Titus 1 says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Verse 6 of chapter 2 also mentions him encouraging people to live in a certain way. And chapter 2 verse 15 also talks about encouragement. Now the word for encourage there is the same word that Jesus used when he talked about the Holy Spirit as the comforter or encourager that he will send from the Father. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspires scripture and he also applies God's word to our hearts and our consciences. So the elder is to encourage others by using the trustworthy message of that word from the Holy Spirit. Uh, in encouraging them from the scripture that the encourager, the Holy Spirit, has given for our encouragement. And that's what it means by sound doctrine here. Doctrine based on the Bible. So the teaching elders ministry of the word is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the encourager and he works through his word, which is the most vital ministry of the elder uh, to encourage people in. Now the word that's translated by the NIV as sound here, sound doctrine, literally it refers to mental health. It means healthy and especially healthy in the mind. And Paul contrasts healthy teaching with the unhealthy teaching of the legalists that he talks about in chapter 2. Last week was Mental Health Week and uh, when our society uh, focuses on how important it is to have good mental health and how we can help one another to do that. That's why uh, the churches in Scottsdale got together last week and put on a Mental Health Week event at the rec ground. We had fun family activities, laser tag and things like that and representatives from various mental health organisations as well as people being able to meet um, representatives from the churches. And here, the Apostle Paul is speaking about something similar, our spiritual mental health. The elder, he says, must teach what is spiritually healthy. Philippians 4 verse 8 gives us a bit of an insight into that. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's the kind of thing that Paul has in mind here when he, he speaks of sound, healthy doctrine. It's doctrine that promotes spiritual mental health. This healthy teaching is found only in the Word of God. And that's how the elder is to, to promote the spiritual health of a church by teaching and modelling the Word of God. So when we appoint elders and ministers, we should ask, is this someone who will rightly use the Word of God to encourage a healthy spirituality in the church? Does he focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his sin-bearing death, his resurrection and glory? Does he stay within the bounds of Scripture? Or is he someone caught up in all sorts of weird teachings or legalism or left or right-wing political views or spiritual hobby horses like the people that Paul warns Titus against here. Third, 
An elder is a role model for the church. He must not be ungodly, but he must manage his family life so that it reflects Jesus. It says here in verse 6, he must be blameless, faithful to his wife. Uh, Children believe, not open to being wild and disobedient. Uh, Blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, but rather hospitable, loving what's good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. An elder, of course, is not sinless or any better than the rest of you in his human nature. Nor does it mean that the rest of you don't have to be like this. Okay? You can't just let your elders do this for you by proxy while you yourself just indulge in ungodliness. Okay? But what it does mean is that you shouldn't appoint an elder who is an unfaithful, violent, drunken philanderer who doesn't care for his family and lead them in a godly way. Rather, he should be, it says, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. And in verse 9, the elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And that's at the heart of what an elder must be and do. Before he does anything for others, he must himself grasp in every sense of the, the word the truth that is in Jesus Christ and him alone. He must hold to the gospel as it has been taught by the apostles, Uh, not as it has been twisted by men, not as it has been shaped or added to or taken away from, not as it is seen by our own denominational biases, but the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified, as Paul puts it elsewhere. You can't teach others what you don't know yourself. It's only when the elder is himself firmly anchored in the fundamental truth of the gospel that he can encourage others in those great truths and refute those who oppose those truths, who oppose the gospel. Only when he knows Jesus intimately can he fulfil the primary task of the elder and especially of the teaching elder, which is to teach rebuke, correct, train and encourage others in the word of God. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. That verse tells us that there is a kind of elder whose primary work is teaching and preaching. This is the elder we call the minister or the pastor. And remember, teaching here... It's not just imparting information. Uh, This whole passage and others like it make it plain that Christian teaching is about modelling. It's about transformation, not just information. It's like a tradesman saying to his apprentices, look, this is how it's done. This is how you use this tool. This is how you do it. Now, just because some are especially teaching and preaching elders, it doesn't mean the other elders never have to teach or preach or pastor. I'm looking at some of the elders in the room as I say that. 
In fact, in one sense, every Christian is to teach and proclaim the gospel and pastor others. That's why, for example, Paul tells Titus to teach the older women so that they can in turn teach the younger women. So every one of you ought to be engaged in ministry, in pastoring, in teaching in that more general sense. So we all do it, but there are those elders who are specially set aside for that ministry of teaching and preaching. And it is a call to this special ministry that we're ordaining Nathan to today. Sorry, for some reason my mouse has stopped working. Uh, one final word about preaching. Nowhere does the Bible teach that a preaching elder ought to be a master of oratory. On the contrary, Paul in his Corinthian letters derides those false apostles who reveled in their preaching skills and who could hold an audience spellbound, yet were teaching error and living ungodly, self-centred, avaricious lives focused on power and greed and not on love and service. A good preacher in New Testament terms is one who is true to the word of God, one who practices what he preaches and who encourages people in the truth. He doesn't have to be like Billy Graham or Spurgeon or even David Jones or any other famous preacher who can draw thousands. One of the best preachers I've ever heard is an old lay preacher from one of the other churches in Scottsdale. He's about 80. He speaks in a monotone like that all the time. He uses few riveting illustrations and he'd be classed by many as boring. But there is a godly wisdom in the words that he says and the way that he applies the simple messages of scripture is just wonderful because he glorifies Jesus and he takes people to God's throne of grace. So do not look first and foremost in Nathan or in any other preacher for great oratory or inspirational words that stir your emotions. I mean, Churchill could do that, but you wouldn't want him expounding the Bible, would you? Instead, these are the qualities you, you should look for, the kind of things that Paul tells Titus to look for in the elders he was to appoint on Crete. The kind of person Titus himself was to be, one who will manage God's household well because he's a faithful, humble pastor and teacher whose lifestyle and words reflect the truth and love of Jesus. Now in verse 8, it also says that an elder is to be hospitable. That is, he's to welcome people into his life. He's not to shut people out or be cold and aloof. He is to be generous towards them. Now that doesn't mean that he has to live in a fishbowl or that the church is to take advantage of that and treat his family as common property whose goodness is to be taken for granted and exploited. Now, at this point, let me say that even though I've divided this into what an elder is and what an elder does, um, I could have put this heading of being hospitable, hospitable under either. And just like you can't completely divide God's attributes from God's actions, it's the same with people. 
You are what you do and you do what you are. Jesus says in Mark 7, out of the heart come the actions that define people. So even though I talk about the roles of an elder, what he does, that will necessarily involve who he is as a person because you can't separate those two things. And here, an elder is said to be hospitable and loving goodness. Is that an attribute or an action? You can't really separate those things. But let's unpack what these words, hospitable and goodness, mean. The word for hospitable Paul uses here, um, this is where it would have been handy to have it on the screen, but it's the word philoxenon, and literally that means loving strangers or aliens. Someone who loves people who are not like them. It's the opposite of our word xenophobia. You've heard that word. Uh, fear and hatred of foreigners. Um, we talk about xenophobic actions or perhaps xenophobic attitudes. Um, Philoxenon, love of strangers, is also the opposite term to love of your own group, loving your own, own uh, people. And Hebrews 13 contrasts those two things. It contrasts love of our own with love of strangers. Hebrews 13, 1 says, let brotherly love continue. So, yeah, you are to love your brother. You are to love those who are the same as you. And the word there is Philadelphia, love of brothers, you know, like the American city. And then verse 2 goes on, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And that word hospitality to strangers there is philoxenia, literally love of strangers, the same word used here in Titus. So the elder is to love strangers. He's to be welcoming uh, to those who are outside. So there is love of brothers and love of others. Love and welcome your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, but also love and welcome those who are strangers, outsiders, aliens, foreigners, not from your own culture or subculture. And when it says, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares, it's thinking of incidents like that time when Abraham and Sarah invited in the three strangers and fed them, who turned out to be angelic messengers from God who promised that Sarah would have a child. Paul says to Titus, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good. And goodness in that context means being a lover of doing good to all people, whoever they are, of passing on the goodness of God to us. God is so good. He is totally for us. His goodness is like the rays of the warm sun. And we should reflect that goodness to others, even to strangers. So the elder is one who strives to do good and be welcoming and hospitable to all, regardless of who they are. He is to be without prejudice. Before I conclude, are there any questions that people would like to ask or comments you'd like to make about eldership, about Nathan, about anything that I've said? Anything you don't understand? Either I've, either I've explained everything perfectly or you're getting tired of hearing me or, um, or you're very intelligent or the opposite. 
Well, by way of application, how can you help and support Nathan and the other elders in their work of leading this church? Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Not in the way that Cain did, but earnestly and soul-searchingly. We are our brother's keeper in the body of Christ, and that applies to your pastor too. Are you his keeper? Yes, you are. You must keep him in your hearts and minds as a dearly loved brother and do what is best for him, just as he must for you. And we must not only provide financially for leaders in exchange for their ministry, we must also care for them and their family. Make sure that they have time together. Support and encourage them. Hebrews 13 gives this directive to believers. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Is that how you see your existing elders and how you will see your new teaching elder, your new minister? Uh, do you want to make the lives and ministries of your elders a joy and not a burden? And that goes for anybody in any church here. Your elders have an awesome responsibility and they need your help and support. And a church that obeys this one directive to make the work of its leaders a joy will grow and will bear fruit and will be a joy to be a part of. Nathan, let me pray for you and uh, I'll get out of the way. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've called Nathan to this uh, important ministry. We pray that you would help us uh, from your word to put into practice all that it says about being an elder and about supporting our elders and encouraging them. And we pray that you would uh, give Nathan that... Um, supernatural ability that he doesn't have within himself to fulfill all his responsibilities and obligations in this way. And we thank you for your word and pray that it will always be taught and modelled well in this place. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.